Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Kaiju Kingdom Podcast. We are your hosts... Jessica Stang. And I am Chris Eaton. Uh, if you have been listening to our last couple episodes, you might notice one thing right off the bat. We are much clearer this time. That's because we are implementing grander, newer technology to uh, give you all of our monster goody talkness stuff. That was a horrible run-on sentence. Jessica, you need to ch- chastise me on that later. Um, <laughs> uh, before we start, Jessica, how are you today? I am doing good. I'm really excited. Mm-hmm. Been following South by Southwest News, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. Oh, we will. There's something really big, literally, like, minutes before we start recording this. So we, we'll get into that in a little bit. But we have to talk about the obvious white elephant in the room. And that is the full trailer for Godzilla. Yes. The amazing one with Brian Cranston's voice. Mm-hmm. Over, like... The first, I don't know how many seconds. It's it, so wonderful to hear. It is. Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to play the trailer real quick. And then when it's done, we'll come back and we'll uh, give it a little dissection. So. Yep. All right. I want to talk to somebody in charge. You are not fooling anybody when you say that what happened was a natural disaster. You're lying. It was not an earthquake. It wasn't a typhoon. Because what's really happening is that you're hiding something out there. And it is going to send us back to the Stone Age. In 1954, we awakened something. Well, there's nuclear tests in the Pacific. Not tests. They were trying to kill it. You have no idea what's coming. Yes, yes, it was, oh, every time I hear the sound, his roar, it's, it's chilling. And then the plates on the back, mm-hmm. the iconic plates, I love them. Those are one of my favorite physical aesthetics of Godzilla that I really like. Yeah, interesting choice, because if you look at it, they did take a cue from the American Godzilla for those for those plates. 
But yeah, I can see, yeah, I can see the influence of that. And I thought that they were real smart because he's most iconically remember from a side profile. Mm-hmm. You only see obviously his back because anybody would know who that is. But also toward the end of the trailer, you saw the front. Yeah. So all you kind of saw was this open mouth. Mm-hmm. You couldn't really, I mean, I couldn't really see teeth. Mm-hmm. So you haven't really, they were clever that you haven't really seen, seen him yet. Yeah. Because there's no side profile of him. No, it was Other it? than, you know, the Mondo posters that came out. But there's no side profile of him mm-hmm. in the trailer that we've seen. Which I thought interesting when I sat there watching, like, they're not, they're, they're, they're playing coy once more. Uh, not as much as the, the first trailer, because they do give away a lot more. Which kind of tells me maybe the the effects aren't anywhere near as done as as you know we would assume they are, and that according to what we found out by South by Southwest, that might be the, the case. But you know they have a ton of people working on it right now, so I'm pretty sure it'll all be nice and dandy by the time it comes out. But from what we have seen, and especially in this trailer, oh my god, this movie looks like a painting come to life. It is. It is really great. And what I loved about the trailer was Brian Cranston was so convincing acting? with what he was saying. Acting, mm-hmm. yes. Like I mean, a juggernaut. Yeah. <laughs> yes, like the amazing actor that he is. Mm-hmm. Um, it, he sounds very convincing. He doesn't sound like he's giving a speech. Mm-hmm. Like he actually sounds like he is electing you mm-hmm. because he's pissed off. Mm-hmm. He's not just saying the words that, you know, the script tells you to say. And also the moment I heard Ken Watanabe's voice Mm-hmm. I was like, oh my god, finally a real Japanese man in a Japanese movie. But I was like, yay, I was so excited. And I love the part where he does remind us something that I think a lot of people or mankind just tend to forget. It's that we're so used to being in the middle and being in control mm-hmm. for everything, even down to our daily lives, that when things get out of control, like you just happen to be late to a meeting and it drives you crazy, but there's really nothing you can do about it. Mm-hmm. It's just traffic or weather he says that we try to think that we have influence over nature but it's really actually nature that yeah. kind of has influence over us oh yeah that's you in- know and like it screws with us and it also sends the bigger message about mm-hmm. godzilla and the movies as a whole oh yeah well they're they're definitely going the right way that they're treating him as like a force of nature instead of just like a big Lumbering animal, like the uh, like the like the Sony film did back in '98. Uh, like he's yeah. it's not literally a dinosaur that grew and just you know eats fish and just lumbers around. Like literally, like when he like the scene you like the the moment you see him coming underneath the battleships and he starts raising out of the water and the wake that it causes, the, literally the tsunami that just hitting people. That you know, that right there is just shooting, like, this is a literally a walking natural disaster. Like, if a tornado could take sentient form and just, you know, go about its business. Yes, and it seems like wherever he goes, yes, like, you, you use the term tsunami, mm-hmm. which is obviously a weather conditional term. Mm-hmm. But also, it seems as if wherever he's at, it's not sunny. No. Like, clouds will suddenly form, mm-hmm. and you've got this really dreary bat. It's like if Thor decided to just come down and use Mjolnir. But, you know, it shows that he does have some influence over nature or that allusion to. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if Aurora, I can't say her name, but Storm, mm-hmm. because I just said a bunch of syllables. Um, but, like, you know, like, 
almost having the control over nature. It, in all the destructive scenes that we've seen, it's not a sunny day. It looks like it's a thunderstorm waiting to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, like he is exactly what you said, a force of nature or something that influences the change in weather. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even Brian Cranston's character was like, it's not an earthquake. It's it wasn't not a, this. It wasn't a typhoon. You guys are lying. Which, um, when uh, they, was it, Warner Brothers did a screening of 20 minutes of the footage last week and, uh, that they showed that scene, like literally, he's talking to Ken Wanatabi. Uh, oh, I probably just butchered that name. And there, he's uh, the scene where we see Cranston running through, you know, screaming at people to like run. We find out that he was working for a uh, um, a nuclear power plant, like uh, in the past in in the film's uh, timeline. Mm-hmm. And something attacks it, and it, everything kind of goes to hell. And uh, that literally, so those two scenes from uh, from the description, like where he's waving, you know, like he looks distraught as the doors are closing on that woman, which yeah. appears to be his wife. Like some bad stuff went down, and he was just now he's like Ahab looking for his white whale, if you will. That just, right. and the right. people know about said white whale; they're just keeping their lips tight on it. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's so. And for those you know who don't know, you can always go. I'm sure Realmcast may have covered it, or if you just Google 20 Minutes Godzilla, mm-hmm. it'll tell you a little bit more about it. But yeah, no, it seems really, really good. And like you said, to you, it's like a painting come to life. To me, it's like paint. It's like concept art mm-hmm. come to life. Ah, that's, that's just, even that's more far more apt than than like my painting because when you especially like. If you go Google, like, best, best, uh, to, to make your point, uh, Google the Avengers concept art. Just look at all the, like, the scenes. You'll see, you'll, you, once you see them, you'll say, oh, that's right out of the movie. But there's there's a, a texture to it that the movie does not capture, that it's captured in, in the, these art pieces. That is what looks like it's moving on screen. Like, literally, like, this movie does not look like any of the other movies that are coming out this year. Like, it is just, there's mood and atmosphere to it. But with a with a like a brush stroke done to it, right, right. No, I know exactly what you mean, and I love the fact that um, in a way, I don't know how, but the kaiju in Pacific Rim, I, I like. Mm-hmm. I can see they're they're more you know terrifying. You know, they're scary. They're monsters, and I kind of see them as some of them are actually kind of cute. I like um, Godzilla. Yeah, like Omi Baba. I love him. My weird obsession with him. But Godzilla actually looks terrifying. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's bigger, mm-hmm. 350 uh, feet. But also his skin just seems, it's just different. It's not so amphibious. It's more, obviously, armor plate, like plated, like a lizard, like an armored lizard like, or a plated uh, lizard. Crocodilian, if, if you, you will. Crocodilian, yeah. If you Now it's a great chance for everyone to know herpetology really well. Um <laughs> But, you know, if you look it up, so something about him is a lot more scary mm-hmm. and a lot more terrifying. And I don't think it's just size-related. No. I do think it's just also how it, how he's portrayed in the film. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. That, that was, that was okay. it. I'm trying to think of, well, think of other adjectives that isn't terrifying. Yeah, well, I mean, the, uh, the Empire cover, the two Empire covers that are out there, uh, the one, the, the subscriber-only one, that has the back profile view, which is pretty much yes. 
the as a, it's the Final Wars art poster uh, where you know it's just Godzilla and you just from the backside and he's turning his head yelling. That's literally what that scene is that that shot is, but with the new design. And he looks he looks like a as I would say like he was a, an Americanized version of the Godzilla Mothra King Ghidorah like suit. If, if you get if you get what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Like he's I got do. that big kind of crocodile look to him. His head is a little bit bigger, you know, in proportion to his body. His arms are much more shorter but stumpier, but they look like they work. He's got the real big, thick, fat uh, thighs, and just you know, he's a he's a moving mountain. That's and that's you know that's what that movie went with. But it, you know, obviously done through the eyes of like a, a, an American concept artist. Which, right, right. No, I know what you mean. Perfect. It's exact. It's exactly what they need. Um. And the, the front view, which much like that same suit, you look at it two different ways. It's like this is not the it you, you it's a different image every time you look at it at a different direction. But like when you see him from the front view, like oh his head's smaller and stuff like. But it's just the symmetry of you know how they design. Like he's got like a head that narrows as it as it gets to a snout, kind of like a kind of like a bird. You know how it's got like a bigger bulbous head, and it comes down to the beak. The beak comes to a point. Yeah. Which yeah. is awesome. So it's tapered. Yeah, yeah thank it's you. Down. See, that's why you're the smart one. <laughs> no, I just remember <laughs> SAT vocab. <laughs> like, oh, gosh. So, but other than that, in the preview, we also get a glimpse, just uh, just a a dusting, if you will, of uh, the of the the opponent for the film called Muto. I don't know if they're going to go with another name or not, but all the merchandising just says Muto all over the place. Right. Which I'm still saying that it's just, it's, they're, that's just going to be their code name for Kaiju throughout the, you know, in, if they're building a universe, which I got a feeling they are. That, yeah. That'll be, instead of using Kaiju, they're just going to call them Mutos. But, um, yeah, and that's what my friends think is knocking the planes out of the sky. Oh yeah, that, that's, well you see the form of it, like, shooting downward into the ocean, and, he, and then they do that snap cut where you just see the tail end going in. But, A, that scene of it knocking everything out of the sky, I'm like, oh, my God, that's brilliant. Like, Toho, like, anytime you see in a Toho film, Rodan, Mothra, Gigan, Ghidorah flying, and a plane's coming at him, it usually just explodes midair. And it's just like, boom, okay, cool. Cool little explosion. This it's swatting. It's literally swatting F-18s swatting, out of Swatting, yeah, Godzilla style. I'm yeah. sorry, King Kong style. Yeah. Excuse me, King Kong style. And I'm just, I'm like, oh my god, I, I've never that. That's something I've never seen. That is literally something I've never. It's literally, it's just like, oh what? Oh swat, like just bam, bam, left and right, and then you get the the impact of it hitting the water. And then, yes. And the only other glimpses of it we get. Um, when that soldier's coming up, when it looks like a, a kind of like an egg sack looking thing that's bioluminescent, and it's kind of running the light across and it's lighting up, and then you get a glimpse of the claw of whatever it is when it hits a, the ground in front of all those soldiers, and then lets off like a green mist looking thing, and then the um, when you see the soldier running as something's cutting across a bridge. It's cut in between the scene of Aaron Taylor Johnson on on the uh, the train. As something yeah. comes and gets the train, and then they cut that scene. You just see like this blade go right across it, uh, right across this 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 bridge, and I think that's like the top end of whatever the muto is. 
or at least what I'm thinking is the Queen Muto, the big one. Because um, the Comic-Con footage did say that there were smaller versions. So there's obviously several of them. Which brings me to the point of that they've essentially... Okay, well, hold on. We'll get into this in a second. Before I come, uh, remind me to come back to that train of thought. But other than that, um, you also get... The, the one, the big reveal shot was uh, when... Uh, uh, when Atabi's talking and he's explaining the whole, you know, we think we're in charge, but nature's really in charge. They're standing in a rib cage of a skeleton. And right. it's alluding to there might be more than one Godzilla. Or they're going with the kind of the, the because they, they've clearly established that um, a, some form of the original movie did take place in this continuity. So it's they're, yes, they're, they're, because they mentioned night. Yes, they mentioned that the I, I would like to call it the voice of Peggy Carter. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> not her, you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, I don't I don't know who voices that I didn't check the IMDb credit. But, you know, a lovely British woman's voice mm-hmm. says, you know, like, oh, you know, we told people or we let people think it was nuclear testing or mm-hmm. something, but we were actually trying to kill. get rid of it. Yeah, we were trying to kill. Yeah, we were trying to get, was. and it shows footage mm-hmm. and mushroom clouds and stuff. And then you get the so, shot of the eight, that bomb with the Godzilla. It looked literally. It have you seen that um, that uh, that T Fury shirt? It's Godzilla's silhouette, and it's the. Um, it's Godzilla's name in, in Japanese Kanjin, and then underneath it, it says coming. So it's like the dire wolf from uh, <laughs> Game of Thrones that says yeah, winter is coming. Yeah. It literally looks like that design. They just took it out and then put it on a bomb with a big Ghostbusters no square or er, circle around it. <laughs> Which is already a shirt. I saw it up on, on T Fury yesterday. Literally, they're like, hey, new Godzilla shirt. I'm like, you just took what you saw in the trailer and you threw it up. I on look, bless them. I I don't know how they get away with 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 what they get away with selling. I know that it's a limited time, but other people get away with it. But brilliant yet lazy at the same time. I and I don't know where to fall on either chastising them or loving them. I, I I'm, I'm conflicted. <laughs> oh, and it was it was it was free promotion for mm-hmm. T Fury. But we do love you. I buy a, I get shirts from you, T Fury. Oh, I get a lot so of shirts you from T Fury. Yeah, they have they have awesome stuff. But yeah, no, I didn't even think about that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, um, I do like that there is some form of continuity, or I'm not so sure what was happening. But um, it, it's, you know, it's, when that happened, I do, I do like what they're trying to explain. Yeah, I guess. Well, it's it's the it's the uh, Abram Star Trek uh, uh, theorem. It's we there was a separate continuity. We're not erasing it. It exists in its own universe, and yeah. we're going to start at a, at a starting point and split off and do our own thing while acknowledging that. So if by chance you happen to hate this movie, you can still got your originals, that it, and it doesn't, you know, uh, you know, duke all over it. So Right, right. Perfect way. If anything, if I could say anything that, that came out well out of that first Abrams movie, it was that. At least they, they left the continuity in check, so... Please, please remind the fellow, you know, Trekkie lovers who uh, are upset with Khan in the second movie. Oh, with uh, uh, 
about uh oh yeah oh because of the fact that they kind of just completely rehashed part two yeah i mean everybody loves a good benedict cumberbatch but there's only so much some people can do with con it, well, but remind them that's okay that it is you all right it is fine the other one <laughs> you still have your ricardo montaban the latin lover who you know owned it as as con in both the original series and in the wrath of con um but no, no. I mean, it, that, that you know, that's brilliant. You know, uh, ironically, look, I, 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 look, I've, I like J.J. Abrams up to a point. Like after he made Mission Impossible Three, I'm like, yes, I'm on board with everything this dude does. I was all into Lost. I was into. Um, I didn't really watch Alias, so I couldn't really kind of give you anything on that. And then uh, they're like, he's gonna do Star Trek. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. You know, I'm not the biggest Trek fan out there, especially not the original Trek. Like, I I understand it's 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 uh it's it's appeal, and you know what? I've watched many episodes, and I found it thoroughly entertaining. But in the end, I'm a TNG guy, and even then, not that big. I like that was the Star Trek I grew up on. That's the Star Trek I knew. But I do love me some big fat Scotty, though. I can't ever get enough of that guy. <laughs> but that being said, um, when uh, the the first Star Trek came out. I remember everyone just gushing over, it, and I sat there. I'm like, eh, this is this is kind of boring. Like, there's not a whole hell of a lot going on in here. And everyone's like, oh my god, they rewrote the book. I'm like, all Abrams did. Uh, Abrams put together a good cast with a super weak script and just kind of like mediocre execution. Now, going into Star Trek Two, like into Darkness, I'm just like, I'm going like, ah, okay. Because I hated, I, I hate, I, well, I didn't hate, I was bored by Super 8 as well. Everyone, again, everyone gushed over, I'm like, nothing really happens in this movie. Like, literally the alien shows up at the end, and builds a ship, and he goes home. It's a screwed up E.T., that's all it is. <clears throat> um, into Darkness, though, so I'm sitting there, I'm like, eh, okay. And then by the end, I'm like, hey, this movie was pretty cool. I walked down like, I liked it. And then I went with my buddy, George, who's a big Trek fan. He's like, eh, it was all right. And then I start reading all the hate online. I'm just like, it, you guys realize they're two different continuities, right? It's just they they do they're doing their own thing. They have a killer prize and Robocops in this new one. How could you how could you hate it? Apparently, people really 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 hated it. <clears throat> so, hey, that being said, yeah, Godzilla, yeah, monsters, bam. Yes. Give, give, so give, I mean, I could for some reason I just imagined J.J. Abrams. Mm-hmm. Doing Godzilla, I, I I don't know why. Uh, because everyone assumes he can do everything, which I've pointed out. It's like mm, that is true. Nah. But I don't know how Trekkers feel about him now. They still so. really hate him. Uh, for, I know. I know a couple of hardcore Trekkies are just like J.J. Abrams is the George Lucas of our uh, of our fandom. Like he screwed up so much. That son of a. <laughs> just like you guys just need to take a chill pill, man. It's two movies. It's 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 not like it. It's like hey, Shatner never existed. It's only Chris Pine and his hunky abs. It's like no, no, Shatner's still there. You can go have your Shatner and enjoy it. Okay, just feel, just be grateful. You're not like hardcore uh, Transformer fans who have to deal with the with the Bay movies. Because I got a couple of friends that are like that, and it's just <clears throat> one of them called me after he saw the trailer for Godzilla. He calls me up. He's like, you you. I just got like a, a, a mound of defeat in his voice. I'm like, "What is?" He? He's like, 
I don't get how you can get the movie that you've wanted to see since you were a child in your head, <laughs> and we get these films. I'm like, the first <laughs> the first one was all right. He's like, <clears throat> it's like, you know damn well that is not <laughs> what any Transformer fan wanted. We wanted the cartoon. I mean, what did they think about Age of Extinction? Did they think that Grimlock looked like <laughs> Maleficent from Sleeping Beauty? I got a lot. He's just like, that's not, Grimlock's not a dragon. Grimlock's not, blah, blah, blah. So I got pretty much, they're, they've all written it off. They're they're just like, we'll go watch it because we're we're just like abused girlfriends. We will keep coming back for more. But it is not, you know, they're they're G1 fans through and through. They will always be G1 fans. And any of the newer stuff is very hard for them to, to grasp. I'm just like, you know what, be grateful because my hardcore fandom comes from another country. Even though technically yours comes from the same one, it's not quite the same. And yours has been going strong for 30 plus years. Mine's had bouts of drought, you know, t- 10 years at a time. So, you know, I've... I've in, People take mine far less serious than they take yours. So, you know, you're winning in many aspects right now. I'm paying through the butt for an import for one import figure. So, who's complaining? You know, who who's losing what battle? <laughs> you know what? For a wonderful podcast idea, mm-hmm. we should have ones where we pick prominent directors in pop culture genre and imagine how they will do Godzilla. Oh, that's a brilliant idea. I'm going to write that down. We're going to do that. Are you Are you about to take a writing I have right a now? pen in my hand and I am jotting it down as we speak. Prominent. It would be wonderful to, to put ourselves not so much in their shoes, I mean we can, but put ourselves from an audience point of view of what we've observed. So, you know, oh, wow, could you imagine a Zack Snyder Godzilla? I could. I it would, would have amazing music. It would have amazing, <laughs> it would have amazing, it would have amazing soundtrack. It would have, oh, yeah. and contrary to popular belief, it would have a few slow-mo scenes, but not a million like everyone keeps saying he has. And it would be a glorious-looking film. Should he write it? Probably not, because Sucker Punch had a lot of issues. But given a good script, he can make a fantastic movie. I loved Man of Steel. Like I thought it was amazing across the board, and I I have to vi- defend my my uh, my honor against everyone who keeps saying Superman doesn't kill. I'm like, you, no, no, that's Batman that doesn't kill. Superman will kill if it is absolutely deemed necessary. He killed Doomsday at one point in a book. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I would, I would love, to, I would love to see. Um, I though, I would love to see a. Uh, um, uh, uh, there, there was one time Quentin Tarantino talked about because um, he hosted a movie marathon, and he showed uh, Destroy All Monsters, and uh, I remember reading this this blurb he was telling someone. He's like, I would love to do a, uh, a Godzilla movie, but I would like, I would shoot it completely from just someone who's running on the streets perspective. Like you, he'd be stuck inside of the town as. Is Godzilla be fighting another monster, and that's how you would see the whole film. So clearly, years later, J.J. Abrams kind of does the same thing with Cloverfield. But I got a feeling that Tarantino would make it a lot. Of, it would make it far more interesting with a better soundtrack and a lot of witty dialogue going on. Do you think that Uma Thurman will be in that movie? She would show up somewhere. I guarantee it. <laughs> no, the the thing was would be where would Samuel L. Jackson fit in? Would he be the general leading the the charge against Godzilla? <laughs> 
Would he just be another guy on the street screaming? Yeah, just <laughs> just screaming, <laughs> just screaming his head off at Godzilla. <clears throat> a lot of bleeps, a lot, a lot of swearing, probably. I, I, though I do, yeah. think, I do think he would make a, a, a interesting one. I don't think there would be a lot of monsters, a lot of monster action in. Though I think he would make a, a, a decent looking one. Sam Raimi, though, I think is the guy that would make a really good one. And I know, right, I right, know he was right. offered the original TriStar one back in the '90s, like when he was doing Quick and the Dead. Yeah. Uh, which, if you haven't seen, a very underrated movie. A, a young Russell Crowe and a very young um, Leonardo DiCaprio, but uh, they offered it to him first, and he's just like, "No, I'm going to go do my own thing." And he went off and made a Simple Plan after that, I think. So I think it was for the best. But, right, and I think for future we can cover directors like obviously Del Toro, mm-hmm. Terry Gilliam. Oh my God, Terry! Uh, uh, what? Oh my, Brian Singer. Yeah, Singer would actually make Ridley a good one. Scott, uh, and Scott. Steven Spielberg or yeah. George Lucas version of Godzilla would be amazing. Someone, someone told a story. I don't know if it was uh, Juan de Bont or if it was Roland Emmerich that when they took. The TriStar film, Spielberg actually called him and said, "Don't do it." I don't know. I I gotta find that story somewhere. I remember reading it in a in an article that you know Spielberg literally called this person up and said, "You're making a mistake. Don't do this." They're like, why? It's Godzilla. It's like, it's Godzilla. Just don't do it. I, I don't think Spielberg holds a regard for Godzilla as he does for several other things. But mind you, Spielberg comes from a different time too, so. Yeah, he might have aged out of the Godzilla fandom by the time he was making Jaws, anyway. So, he, right, they say you got to get him young. What would be amazing would be Woody Allen's Godzilla. Oh, just and also oh. a Martin Scorsese Godzilla. I think. So. And what we could do is we can call this entire segment mm. like the Marvels, like what if Stanley did it? I I think this. But it's like a what if, and then we enter directly. I think game. we make this a weekly segment. If he, look, okay, we'll put it up. Anybody who's listening cut to this, to yeah, cut to like dialogue. Yeah, uh, how about this? We we put this out there. If you guys, if anybody who's listening to this thinks that this oh idea is God. a good idea for a episode or a segment for for many episodes, go post it on go post it on the Facebook. Just give us a yay or nay to uh, to uh, the. It's called director wish list, and let us know. So that way we're not jabbering on each week and everyone's fast forwarding through this through that segment in the show. So. Oh my but god! I, think... I have like tears rolling down my face because I'm crying thinking about mm-hmm. Woody Allen. Crying tears of laughter, you guys. Not not sadness. It's a big monster. it's a lot of stuttering and a lot of narcissism. That's what would that that movie would be, like you know Woody Allen. Like it would be Woody Allen hitting on a younger woman who's way too young for him. Like, you know, he's 68, so he has to be hitting on someone roughly about 21, 22. And she has to be falling madly in love with him in the background while their romance is going on. The soliloquy for that is Godzilla literally destroying whatever's in the background. <laughs> you know, he would make it a uh, he would, he would make it a, as a metaphor for the, you know, the destruction that's about to happen in his personal life. <clears throat> Yeah, and then Nolan would make it very grim and very realistic. I don't think Nolan would make a grim Godzilla movie. I think he would make a um, 
he would make a more interesting kind of sci-fi because Nolan's a brilliant genre filmmaker, and that's that's really what he is. He's a genre filmmaker. He hasn't really made like a. I mean, the closest thing I guess you could say to a straightforward film would be uh, Insomnia, but even that was was like a B thriller in its own way because it, it had a gimmick to it. So he in it, but he he makes Scorsese level genre movies. That I'll put it at that. That's that's how I describe yeah. Nolan, and he's yeah. brilliant at it. Um, and I think with Grimm, I mean very solemn. Yes, it would, even it would be in solemn. Inception, mm-hmm. the relationship between Leonardo DiCaprio's why uh, him and uh, Marianne Cotillard was very sad. Was very heartbreaking. Oh, of course it was. Um, you know, just like the things. There's no. They're, they're just so. They're real. I wouldn't say real world problems, but he has like a good sense of like melancholy and solemn. But with you know, like you said, great. He's great in his genre mm-hmm. in telling certain things. Um, and so I think Godzilla would have a lot of interesting issues. It would also be a visually stunning film too. With a oh yeah, with a, no no no, definitely visually with stunning. The blaring uh, Hans Zimmer soundtrack. Just horns, massive horns everywhere. It'd be like Mardi Gras. <laughs> no, you know who who I'd be really interested to see uh, because he's talked. Someone asked him about this when he was um, when he left doing RoboCop was Darren Aronofsky. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone had asked him. It's like you know, it's like oh, I bet you know you're glad you don't have to do RoboCop now. He's like, well, yes, no. They're like, well, why? He's like. Why? Why would I be glad I, I I'm not doing RoboCop anymore? And they're like, well, it's RoboCop. I mean, you're Darren Aronofsky. You make great movies. He's like, well, who says RoboCop's out of my league? And it's like, well, what if someone offered you Godzilla? He's like, I would love to do a Godzilla movie. Why? Why would I not want to do a Godzilla movie? It's like, well, it's like so low class. He's like, there's nothing low class about a Godzilla movie. A Godzilla movie would be great. I mean, just give me a chance. I could do if you let me do it my way. I would gladly make a Godzilla movie. It's just you know, right. it's uh, he's right. but he's he's that guy that w- will do what he wants to do, and that's how that's it's always going to work. Like um, uh, Ryan Johnson, the guy that made Looper. Yeah, yeah, he's that guy. I think he would make a great Godzilla movie too, but he does what he wants to do. So if unless it piques his interest, he ain't gonna he ain't gonna do it. I guarantee yeah. though, Warner Brothers, if they were like, hey, you want to do the next Godzilla movie, if they let him do what he wants to do with it which would be really screwed up and someone's going to die at the end because that's how Aronofsky rolls. Um, I don't know who hurt him. He was hurt as a child somewhere. I know deep down because all his movies are super damn depressing. I can't like I can't watch Requiem for a Dream. Literally, I watched it once and I'm like, I no. I, I threw the case at the wall. I'm like, I can't do this. I feel filthy watching this film. Like It just crawled under my skin. I own The Wrestler. Brilliant movie, as my buddy put it. The rest, the wrestler has more truth about wrestling than the Passion of Christ had about Jesus. Oh. And Black Swan was great. It was just like, I'm like, how can you be this depressing of a person to make these movies? Like, I got a feeling right. Noah's going to be super depressing as well. But just it'll look like a symphony going off. I was also thinking uh, a George Romero, Robert Rodriguez Godzilla film, or a Frank Miller directed spirit style, uh, the spirit, excuse me, mm-hmm. style. All those would have such interesting. 
The, the look of it would be it's very interesting. interesting uh, looks yeah. and action. Which is very interesting in the fact that, you know, you meant you, we bring this up, but, you know, when um, they announced Gareth Edwards, I mean, if you go back and watch Monsters, or if you haven't watched Monsters, go watch Monsters. It's on Netflix. You can watch it uh, for free on Netflix. Uh, it's visually a, a, an okay movie, but you can tell that it was very limited by its budget, and, you know, he was using what he had sparingly. Um, in fact, the 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 last twenty minutes of the film, when they're entering a um, a uh, contaminated zone, if you will, that's been ravaged by the uh, the, the the squid monsters in the film, mm-hmm. he literally he was shooting down in Mexico, and uh, this was three or four years ago when uh, a hurricane had blew into Galveston, Texas. And completely decimated the, the entire shorefront. He hopped over with his two stars because he was shooting the whole film on his own. They hopped over the border and shot that last part of the film in the wreckage of all that stuff. So, like he he got the most out of what he can out of it. But visually, it's like he, I you know you can tell that this guy was on like he had something that he could he could show like a a visual style much like Wes Anderson has a visual style. Where it's very, um, you know, kind of French, you know, artistic, um, kind of very poppy. Um, like he has something. Like when you when you're looking at at this trailer, it, like I said before, it doesn't look like any of the other movies that are coming out later this year. It doesn't look like X Men. It doesn't look like uh, Spider Man. It doesn't look like uh, uh, God. What else is coming out this year? Like maybe the closest thing. Just in kind of style that I can compare it to is uh, Jupiter Ascending, the new Wachowski brothers film. And the Wachowskis yeah. always shoot; they always have a unique look to how their how their movies look. So this, you know, th- this is the closest I can see because you know, a lot of directors are great visually, but there's just something about like you know, okay, Joss Whedon when he made Avengers, it's a it's it's a visually pleasing appeasing film, but there's like it, it looks like that. There's a lot of other directors that could have been in and out on just how it looked, you know, just just the basic look of the film. Now I'm not talking about how the scenes are shot, like you know the the grand scene where they're hopping from character to character or anything like that. I'm just talking about the aesthetic look of the film. You right, know, it looks right. it looks you know you could trade up Hulk, uh, Captain America, Iron Man. They all look the same. They they have this they have a same look to them. And it, you know, it's not like you know they really pop. Like you, you look at you know you, you, the characters pop, but like the, the the look of the film does not pop. This trailer for Godzilla though pops. It's just like there is like there is something about this film that just doesn't. It's not like all the other stuff that's coming out, and it's also not obvious a mass amount of CG that just you know looks like just CG for the sake of being CG. Like it's the the best way I can describe it. It looks like Dark City if you've ever seen Dark City. The, yeah. Okay, so in that film, it's obviously it's dark. There's there's a lot of darkness in it, but it has a distinct look. And the way Alex Perea shot it, it you know the all the effects are used for a reason. They aren't used just for the sake of like here we're we got to throw something cool in here because it's been two minutes and something cool has happened. So he makes all of his effects work for for the look of the film and for the storytelling aesthetic. So you know like all the buildings coming together and they kind of how they. There's there's like a tint to them and everything. Just it just pops in a dark way. I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. But that being said, yes, many directors. So let us know if you want us to keep babbling on about this this kind of. Uh, and I'm talking to you, the listener, 
about this kind of segment. Just go to our Facebook page and just write down yes or no to uh, to uh, fantasy directors. Yes, and I know that you guys, because Chris just mentioned his name earlier, there will be most likely a talk on the Whedon take on Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Oh, Please will know that it will most likely be a strong female lead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a strong female lead, and something I did notice of Whedon when, um, when I was watching Avengers recently, um, Whedon's a bit of a booty guy, if you if you can tell. Because all three of his main female leads, there's these establishing shots of just them from the backside. It's not gratuitous, but like they're there in the forefront. I'm just like, okay, so I see what Josh Whedon likes in his ladies. So if you don't believe me, go back and look. Just watch the film and just look at every time uh, Colby Smothers or um, or Scarlett Johansson's on screen. And you'll see just like, it's like... He likes Joss Whedon is uh, he's 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 a booty guy so it's I just found it funny that's my Chris's two cents okay let's move let's move on to, to back back to the main topic while we're here Godzilla and everything Godzilla so as we meant as we mentioned earlier uh, South by Southwest showed some footage they had a little presentation they were showing the original. Um, 54, uh, the original Japanese cut of Godzilla Tonight, and then Gareth Edwards was there to screen some footage. And uh, literally, the, the, the review of the footage has just come online as we're, uh, as we're recording this. Um, Jessica? Yes, okay. so the wonderful Brian Walton, mm-hmm. which is editor-in-chief over at The Nerdist, I saw his post first. Mm-hmm. Uh, because all the other posts were about the Mongo poster that everybody got over at Godzilla. But Brian Walton over at the Nerdist, if you guys Google that, and um, I don't know, maybe Chris can say for this, but Romecast may have a, a link to it. Um, since, you know, sadly we cannot plagiarize. Mm-hmm. But um, he was literally sitting on the curb typing out the article <laughs> on his phone. So you guys, please excuse any typos or spelling errors. But he talked about how amazing it was. They looked, I mean... As you know, the British director was there. They went through the 1954 film. He talked about how that has influenced or put into continuity, you know, certain things of the movie that we're going to see now. And, of course, I'm sure everybody there was obviously more interested in the two that what we can see now. He did screen, he did screen uh, several minutes, actually, of the film, and we saw a lot of Aaron Johnson you know, young boy, and the article goes into really well detail. Brian Walton was of amazing memory, and he talked about what we could see in the film and also what the director, you know, kind of teased and let us know what we will be expecting. Mm-hmm. And so he says that the acting is really great, everything is really well done, and it's a lot more of a recap of what people today saw at South by Southwest than than an opinion piece. Mm-hmm. So they, I, I think that they're, you know, other than the people who saw 20 minutes of it last week, like IGN and stuff, I felt, you know, they were also pretty blessed to see what they can with the South by Southwest Festival. So um, what else do you remember from the article? Well, I have the article up in front of me right here, so I'm, I'll give you the, the, the bullet points, if you will. So um, what Walton explains is that the scene uh, that they show starts with uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson on the train. So we see this bit in the trailer. 
Um, he's with a. Uh, um, and they established this uh, whole sequence takes place in Honolulu. So, um, so he's on a train. He's with a little Japanese kid, and um, and oh, they're on an airport tram. That's what it is. So this is actually going into the scene that they showed uh, at uh, Comic Con last year too, as well. So. Um, then the scene cuts to a luau on a Hawaiian beach where there's a big fire burning in the mountains in the distance. So I'm taking it that might be the, the scene where we see um, the train uh, kind of in like that mountain kind of area and there's like a fire going on in the background. Um, and anyway, so uh, he goes on to say that there's a party going on uh, and then there's a, a lone girl that notices the ocean's being pull, pulled away. So if you know your your um, seismic events, that's the first warning sign of a tsunami. So her dad, or her dad comes over, sees it, tells everyone to start running. So everyone starts running, and they leave the dog behind. I know this. That's that. That's Jesse's pet peeve mm-hmm. of movies. Is <laughs> Just screw the, the animals. Dog, the poor dog always gets left behind, mm-hmm. or is usually the first creature that knows that something is wrong. Because they do sense danger. Yes, yeah, so, but in this time, like always, it is a child mm-hmm. who senses it, or the father and everything, and then the dog that gets left behind. Mm-hmm. So then the scene cuts to Ken Watanabe. He's on a battleship, and this is the sequence we see in the trailer. We see, um, you know, the form moving underneath the battleships, and the 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 spotlights are on it, and they watch as pretty much as the second Godzilla starts surfacing, you see. The uh, the ocean's starting to part, and the ship's starting to move from the wave. And that's when he comes ashore. Uh, and as he's coming ashore, the ma- his mass coming af- coming ashore causes the uh, the the slight tsunami that uh, that actually you see in the uh, in the film. So you see all those people running in that huge wave coming down. That's literally the 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 shock wave of Godzilla surfacing and the water displacement that happens, which is really cool because they never. The budget's never there in the Japanese films. Like, they touch on it when he surfaces and stuff like that. They're like, there's a massive wave and stuff. But they never really get into the fact that, like, if something that big popped out of the water, that there's going to be, like, a tidal wave of some sort that that follows it. Because just basic uh, physics physics itself dictate that, you know, when you displace, you know, something with that much mass, that, you know, the water like that has to go somewhere. So where's it going? It's going inland. So, yes, like when you get out of a swimming pool, mm-hmm. but your body's like tidal kind of, yeah. excuse me, ripple effects mm-hmm. in your little boats or your little toys, or that poor ant that drowned in your pool is uh, moving, which the ant will be the people. Yeah. And then um, it's moving along as you're getting out of the swimming mm-hmm. pool. See, Godzilla is educational. It is. You will be looking <laughs> up science he likes facts. To, as Simpson said, he likes to educate as well as horrify. <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, and this should make you happy. They cut back to the dog, who's barking as the wave is coming. <laughs> and just cliche of every other movie, his leash snaps because he was tied to a to a tree, and he hauls he hauls butt past his owners and past everyone else as the wave comes crashing down on everyone. <clears throat> so the uh, father and daughter take refuge in a restaurant as the wave hits. Every people are taken out by this massive wave, and then they cut to. Um, the scene we see in the trailer, those roof t- uh, the soldiers on the rooftop, and they fire the flares in the air. 
and when you see the flares come down, you're looking at the lower end of Godzilla, so pretty much from his thighs on up. And the way that they measured it, his thigh comes up to about at least 10 stories uh, alone on its own. So, just massive body moving. Um, then, what we don't see in the trailer is that, uh, in this footage, is that the soldiers start firing. Like, they just open fire on him. And it's much like uh, in the... Um, the second Hulk film, when the soldiers opening fire on Hulk and the bulls are just bouncing off like it's rubber, that's pretty much what it is. And <laughs> the point that he put in, it's like, so the bullets aren't just ineffective, they're completely unnoticed by Godzilla. Like, literally, he keeps walking as they're firing on him, he doesn't even notice. So Godzilla's moving through Honolulu, uh, he's just leaving destruction as he as he moves, um, and you, that scene you see where his tail disappears behind a skyscraper, that's... That's in this scene as well. So then they cut to a jun to a jungle, and this is also in the trailer where the, you see the soldiers kind of going through, and they find something covered in goo, and they pull it away, and it's a uh, radioactive symbol. And it turns out something had picked up a submarine and dropped it into the middle of the island. And they're talking about like they hear over the radio that they found whatever monster did it. So they cut back to the Honolulu airport where um, Aaron Taylor Johnson is. And the power had gone out on the tram. Now it comes back on. The crowd has a brief moment of relief when just hell hits the side of the saves the side of the thing. So the tram is thrown off the tracks, and something cuts through. And we find out it's not Godzilla; it's one of the Mutos. So this is the scene from uh, from the Comic Con footage where the Mutos literally are attacking the airport. And uh, so pretty much this is the creature that the government has, you know, that the soldiers we hear are looking for right now. And uh, so we, the the trains, you know, that the tram that Darren Taylor Johnson's on is dangling, and the young kid that um, was with them is just, like, right out of reach, about to, you know, meet his bloody end on, on the uh, sidewalk. Grabs out, grabs him. And then, as, you know, in great Mulan movie fashion, the Mutas are advancing, when they all stop and take a guess why, Godzilla shows up, lets out a roar, and there's a f there's a quick fight, and they really don't get into much more than that. That's pretty much where they cut out. Now, I think they said that there was something that they could not that, that they couldn't talk about. I know that at the um, the 20 minute screening that they did, there was a couple of scenes that none of the reporters were allowed to touch upon, so. Which means that Gareth Edwards has something up his sleeve that they're not saying anything about in the trailer at all. Which might mean a second monster, or they just don't want to give away the the reveal for all the mutos. Because they have said that they're always, these things are always going to be in the film. And this is the point where they even showed this this footage at Comic-Con. So they're, not, they're, they're definitely not hiding that, but they're hiding something else. Which I... Right. <clears throat> right. Mm -hmm. Which I think what is good is because what the people... People in the audience feel with South by Southwest is that they're going to get a kaiju battle. Mm -hmm. um, and also the fact is, obviously WonderCon is coming. We might see more things there. WonderCon is a southern, you know, Southern California convention. It is also. It literally is. It's. Oh, I'm sorry. Diego. Yes, it is. It is Comic Con. Um, the prequel or Comic Con Light, if you will, because they're run by the same people. So yes. if you and I, yes. I've, I've been telling people if you can't go to Comic Con, either you could not get in, 
or you just don't like dealing with the crowds anymore, WonderCon is a perfect alternative. It's in a great city. It's in Anaheim, which is literally the city I'm I'm pretty much sitting in. It's five minutes. It's ten minutes from my front door, but it's at one of the best convention centers, and they have it's they offer all the glam of Comic Con without all the hassle of Comic Con. And it's near Disneyland, it you guys. Right across the street. Okay, just want to stop on by. Mm-hmm. But um but yeah, no, but at the end what was really big is if you read everyone's tweet mm-hmm. and even in like, you know, so many people were saying and let's and let's be honest, obviously the ones that are listening to this podcast know a lot about Kaiju mm-hmm. and Mechas or plan on learning more. Mm-hmm. But most people are like my parents or like my friends. They know Godzilla, they know exactly what he is. It's like people who know Superman know Batman. Yeah. But they don't know no mm-hmm. Godzilla or no no Superman Batman. Like they don't know who the Creeper is or anything past the Joker. They don't know the but deep minutia. Ha- yeah, I'm sorry. What? They don't know the deep minutia of Godzilla or of, of exactly. these characters. Exactly. Um, however, there was a standing ovation, which is a very good so, sign, especially for a, uh, yeah. for a freaking Godzilla movie. Yes. <clears throat> so I think that's really good, especially after the whole 1998 and the fact that people would laugh at his name and be like, oh, it's just a giant iguana running around, lizard, or, you know, or a dinosaur. And mm-hmm. especially since they were like, well, don't you think, you know, Pacific Rim and Godzilla is too close back-to-back to giant monster movies? I think this will definitely prove all the haters and the doubters wrong. Well, as I have said, you can have, you know, dozens of action movies, which are essentially, the, you know, in many ways essentially the same thing. <clears throat> Or you can have 800 romantic comedies come out a year, which they're all essentially the same thing, which is another twist. You can have more than one giant monster movie come out. I mean, we have dozens upon dozens of superhero films now. You can have more than one giant monster movie a year, and I don't think people are really going to mind. As long as it's, as long as it looks good, you're going to get people at least curious to go watch. And if it's good, then you get the word of mouth that brings the rest of the people in. Right. Right. No, I, yeah, I completely understand. Yep. <laughs> And it's all about how it's done, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't think one back-to-back over two years after many years of not having any really good ones oversaturates the market in any way. No, it doesn't. <laughs> not at, Believe me, not at all. <laughs> no. Especially, if, as I said, as, as I told my buddy, the dry the, the, the dry spell we have been in is, is thankfully coming to, like, there is, a, there is a storm just getting ready to dump so much greatness on us that, you know, we're, we will willingly take whatever comes our way. So the, here, here's the thing I'm, I've been questioning. What is Asylum's crappy knockoff going to be? <laughs> you know, the you, Asylum version? Yeah, the, the, uh, you know they got something ready to come out. Because they did last year for Pacific Rim. They made Atlantic Rim, which is on, it's on YouTube. You can actually watch the whole film. Someone uploaded it to YouTube. It is atrociously terrible, even for uh, by asylum standards. So, and you know that this is one of the things that they're going to rip off this year. So I'm just very curious as to what, you know, what their take on it is going to be. <clears throat> I know, I'm going to do yeah. that when I get off. I'm going to look up and see if Asylum's getting ready to uh, to uh, jump this party wagon or not. Yeah, they most likely will and they'll name it obviously something yeah. similar or something with a similar tone or name. Yeah, well, it's like when, um, the 98 film came out. Fox yeah. made that 
kind of half-ass uh, monster film called Gargantua. You remember that? Yep. With one Adam pre pre Firefly Adam Baldwin. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which uh, was actually you know that's back when uh, you know TV stations would do movies of the week or movies of the night kind of things, which uh, sadly yeah. they don't do anymore. That's almost a lost art in its own right. It is. It is. I was just thinking about that the other day. Because, you know, not all people go out. No, they don't. People like to, um, some people are just more introverted or homebodies, and they like to be at home. And uh, my best, you know, one, we my, one of my best friends is like that. He's like, why do I have to go outside when I have the Internet and my refrigerator right here? <laughs> and the restroom. Mm-hmm. And the first world restroom. Pretty much. So, <laughs> Well, for those who aren't complete shut-ins, uh, you can actually go out now and try to buy some toys. Because certain places like Toys R Us are starting to break the embargo that are on the figures. Uh, how do we know this? Uh, the uh, well, not, not just because people have been tweeting him, but one writer, Chris Mowry, I believe I'm saying his name right. Am I not? I believe you're saying it correctly. Okay, who is currently writing IDW's Godzilla, uh, Rulers of the Earth, with uh, Matt Frank uh, doing the uh, the artwork on. He was out and about and happened to, I believe, come across a um, Toys R Us that had put out the giant Jack Pacific Godzilla that we were talking about a couple of uh, episodes ago and picked it up. <clears throat> and uh, there's a big picture on our Facebook page of him holding it. And uh, it's a fairly good size. Um, is it as big as the other figures? Um, no, and probably for, for the better, too. Uh, did you get a chance to, to look at the picture, Jessica? I did. Mm-hmm. I did, and I'm actually trying not to bust people's eardrums with my uh, crying to the point of laughter. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry, laughing to the point of crying. See, I'm already confused. <laughs> because I, there's also pictures of him, mm-hmm. and there's also pictures of the back of the box. Yes. Which, obviously, you and I will be talking about with new terms. But my favorite part was, if it's not the first or second statement much like the Ten Commandments listed, it says Godzilla is a male and not female. <laughs> they want to get the gender thing very on the dot. <laughs> it's just I like, know. He's all man, baby. <laughs> there ain't nothing here. It's just like, well, you got to realize the TriStar version left threw that all out the window. Oh, my God. When they kept calling him a he and he was laying eggs, and they're just like, well, maybe he's uh, a hermaphrodite. It's just like, why? Why Why are you doing this, Matthew Broderick? Why are you in this movie? You're better than this. But then he went and made Inspector Gadget, so he proved he really wasn't better than that. <clears throat> but, no, yeah, I, I, when, when I asked you about that, you're just like, they they made a very big point to make sure that it was a male, not a female. I'm just, okay. But he is technically the king of all monsters. He ain't the queen, so, I mean... <laughs> yeah, they got you there, so... Yeah, and with the next statement is that, you know, he's amphibious, mm-hmm. which is a wonderful term. If children need to look it up in their encyclopedia, they learned another something educational. Mm-hmm. That um, he's not just a land animal that's so large he can walk mm-hmm. on the wa- in the water because his feet touch the ground, mm-hmm. but it's because he is amphibious. Yes. Um, it doesn't mean he and breathes then water, a though. bunch of other things. But look, Sorry, he doesn't what? Let's make, make a clear statement that he doesn't breathe water. He just can live in both water and land. That's what amphibious means. Yes. 
Yes, it does. <laughs> For those, like, that's, that, this is your, you know, this, this biology 101, people. <laughs> yeah, they talked about that, and then um, several of the sites gave away kind of not only what was on the back of the box, but almost like a mini plot outline yeah. kind of summary. It, lit it literally was like... Um, like the box had to tell you this grand soliloquy, like it was reciting, like a, <laughs> it was reciting like an old timey uh, tome from like the days of yore. Like, okay, I got it right, right. Okay, I got it right here. This is literally what the back of the box says. So this is this is how it reads my head. Possibly the last of an ancient species of a giant amphibious creatures that's uh, that evolved at a time when the surface of the earth was over ten times more radioactive than it is today. Now, just imagine a guy holding a scroll, reading this to a group of people in robes sitting around a fire. That's what I'm seeing right now. So, pretty much, they're going with Godzilla's not the product of a atomic blast gone wrong. Like, he wasn't a dinosaur. He was from another point in time when there was, there, there is some, I believe, some truth to this. The Earth was far more radioactive at a point. In our past, there's there's plenty of uh, there's plenty of material that's radioactive out, so it's somewhat believable. Okay, we'll just go with that. So we can continue on. So they stop right there. That's that's their explanation to Godzilla, and they say possibly the last. So they're hinting at there might be more. So you can read in that what you know whatever way you want. Now, they're not going off on any more tangents. It's like, so they stop right there, and then from this point on, it's Godzilla can convert his radiation stored, can convert his radiations stored into a violent, focused exhalation of atomic ray. So they jumped from, okay, this dude's from a long time ago, and there was a lot <laughs> of, like, radioactive rock hanging out, so that's why he's radioactive, to, okay, so no reasonable explanation. Okay, this is Godzilla, and uh, he shoots fire. That that isn't that neat, kids. That's real cool. So we go on from there. Rarely seen, but spoken in an ancient Pacific island myths. Gorgira was last seen, last last spotted in 1954 when the U.S. Navy encountered and attempted to kill him with an atomic blast in the Pacific Ocean. AKA, uh, they ran across something big. They're like, "Ooh, this looks dangerous. So let's kill it with fire," and they dropped a big bomb on him. So clearly it didn't work. As the box says, since then the giant creature has been living in the deep ocean until a threat to his survival from an ancient foe forces him into, to reappear. So, pretty much they give you the gist of Godzilla's story. So he's just, uh, he's, a, he's a dude from long ago who kind of woke up in the, you know, the wrong time, decided to go back to sleep, and then his uh, a-hole neighbor comes a knock in and he's got to go settle some hash. That's the gist yeah, of and the I film. kind of exactly because they're talking about how we think that ancient whatever it comes from the same primitive time as him mm -hmm. or whatever is Mutos, mm -hmm. and I kind of feel like this is pretty much just a battle between two monsters and humans just get involved. It's the alien versus predator <laughs> sales pitch. It's just like there are humans in it, but they're just caught in the way of a battle that they have no idea about. Yeah, they're not only caught in the way they choose to be part of it. Mm -hmm. They're just like, yeah, we're just gonna, we're just gonna deal with this because it's on our turf. Yeah, pretty much. You know, so we're just gonna. It's touching our bridges, and our buildings, um, and skyscrapers, mm -hmm. and accidentally stepping on our children. Yeah. 
so they're like, you know, take it personally. And like most first world countries, mm. they were like, no, nope, we're just going to deal with it. I think we should just evacuate everyone, sit back, and just watch them hash it Pretty out. Much. It was- but then you'll have the people, it's like, <laughs> what about the people who couldn't get out of the way? What about them? It's like, that's true. You, couldn't, you just That's had true. to move. You got to move, people. Uh, but yeah. no, it's interesting the fact that, okay, so this is, they're giving some sort of a grounded explanation for a 350-foot atomic dinosaur. That He's part of a species, yeah. and mind you, yes, there was, you know, there was a time when creatures far larger roamed this earth. Uh, you know, they weren't as big as Godzilla because the laws of physics dictate that such a thing cannot really exist without a being crushed under its own weight. But for the sake of storytelling, giant freaking monsters existed at a greater, at a more prehistoric time of our planet's deep history. And there was more than just Godzilla out there. There was obviously a couple other things. So this is how I guess they're going to explain future endeavors of Godzilla when other monsters pop up. They're like, okay, so there's more. So where the hell are all these things coming from? So they're going with okay, you know, he got locked away deep under the ocean, and uh, hey, we found more, so this is what's going to be the battle of the week. So, and the way that they're describing Muto, so from what we know from the Muto, that it's a big insect-looking thing, and that obviously, well, at least from the description of this box, that the reason why Godzilla comes, you know, out of his hiding is because the Muto has popped back up. And, uh... The rumors, or the, at least the online talk, is the fact that they feed—they're like mosquitoes. They feed off Godzilla, which, if you break that down, essentially Warner Brothers spent 150 million dollars remaking Godzilla versus Megaguirus. Just no giant black hole gun, which it would have been awesome if that thing shows up, though. If that thing shows up, I'm gonna crap myself. <laughs> because I look, I love Godzilla vs. Megaguirus. A lot of people hate on that film and they take a massive dump on it, but I love it because they they embraced the wackiness of the '70s films in the modern times. That's really what that film is. That film is just it's like okay, we're we're going deep into you know um, into world building with this, and we're just you know we've already established Godzilla, so we're just gonna go f- almost full anime with it and just have this you know this insanity of having a an extra, dim- another dimension created by a black hole gun and freaking giant dragonflies and stuff. And then there's mech, there's like super, you know, futuristic ships and stuff. If all that manages to make its way into this film, I will be even happier because I, as I said, I love Godzilla vs. Megaguirus. So the whole insect creature aspect of it, kind of a cop out, but if it's, they're going this direction, I'm all for it. Which brings us. To the last bit, which is, not only did this big figure get out, but Jessica, what else got out? Um, that toy. I actually want to say, also in the back of that toy, mm-hmm. I don't know if there's an explanation there, or there's there's actually been several explanations. Uh, they talk about his whole radioactive breath in a wonderful, eloquent, almost poetic way. Mm-hmm. Uh, they talk about how he reserves it, and he only uses it unless he has to. Because it totally wipes it out, like it wipes, it like exhausts him. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, that's such a Superman moment with all the Doomsday clones in the uh, Jeff Loeb, Michael Turner, yes, when he, Superman, Batman, like, uh, Supergirl. Like everyone back the yeah. hell up, I can only do this once, and just, yeah. just, la- just <laughs> eye lasers the crap out of everyone. He eye lasers the crap out of everybody. Mm-hmm. 
and also you know their whole explanation about how yeah when he just uses this if you guys don't read it read that trade paperback mm -hmm. it collects book like one through eight i believe issues one through eight but when when doomsday i'm sorry when superman realized all the doomsdays attacking mm -hmm. the monthly mascara are just clones you know obviously i'm spoiling it for you guys uh are clones they have no heartbeat mm -hmm. so he's okay with massacring them he just lets out a whole ray cyclops style literally yeah of just laser eye beam and just kills all of them and then he sinks to the ground he's like I can't do this again yeah. so it's like his reserve yeah. and I feel like that was like a Godzilla explanation mm -hmm. of his radioactive breath they're like can only use it unless he has to which is good for the movie because if he can just do it whenever he wants yeah. then, you know it could, then, it, it, then it, everyone's dying because, right? because then because then because that's always some of the issues in, in the uh, Japanese films like he blasts the holy hell out of certain enemies but they just keep coming it's like the other ones he blasts and just like okay it's like one punch you know and they're dead so you know it's it's a matter of you know consistency but if it's um think of like Wolverine now where he doesn't have his healing factor but he has to pop the claws there's always you can only do it like once or twice you know in a time because when he pops those claws he's gonna be bleeding out <laughs> like I'm like an mf or so um you know keeping the the ray which I that was the one thing that was still you know kind of ticking at me in the back of my head. It's like, are they going to do the breath, the fire breath? And if they are, how in the hell are they going to explain it? Because um, they obviously didn't do it for the for the uh, the Emmerich film. They tried to, but that was just a, that was half to ass at best. Um, yes, there's actually a documentary. I think it was done. I don't know if it was done by History Channel or was it Animal Planet? I can't remember, but it's a documentary about dragons. Mm -hmm. And as you're watching it, you think it's, it's real. Obviously, it's not. Yeah. But it talks about finding bones of dragons mm -hmm. and all this stuff. And they talk, they have an explanation about their dragon breath, mm -hmm. which is that dragons at the time would swallow in stones mm -hmm. and rocks that would have a lot of sulfur and the type of diet that they have. So they can only exude fire breath unless they absolutely have to. Mm -hmm. I mean, anyone else... Dumber would have been fooled into thinking was a real animal documentary Disney Earth yeah. style because it was done really well. Mm -hmm. But it's actually it's, it's a fake mm -hmm. documentary. But that was one of their explanations of how dragons could breathe fire, but it causes them great energy. Yeah, and they can only store it up and use it, which I feel like it's almost like a Godzilla move mm -hmm. right now, which is he uses it as like absolute last defense. I need to lumber out. Yeah. Um, and then he just does that. So obviously they're not. And so I thought. So obviously. Pretty oh, okay, go ahead. Cool. Yeah. So w which gives it a little more, um, more and more pizzazz when they do when he is going to use it. So Abe means that he's not going to use it frequently in the film. Maybe like once or twice, and then uh, you know, twice maybe at best. I'm going to take a, a stab at. And then B, pretty much you're not going to see any other. You might not see any other. Um, you know, uh, attributes that come with that. Like, uh, in the later films, like in the 90s films, he does that move, which uh, I think, the, you know, it's dubbed the Atomic Pulse, when, like, the it's the best the best way you can see it is when he's fighting Ghidorah in Godzilla versus King Ghidorah, and Ghidorah wraps around him, and Godzilla tries to blast him, but he can't, so you see, like, the, the, um, the spikes light up, and the flames start shooting out of his mouth, and then it kind of stops, and, like, it's almost like a cancel, like when you're canceling a combo in a fighting game. And literally, like, his whole body lights up and shoots out this massive energy, which just blasts everything around. 
which I thought was a cool power, clearly they're not going to go in that direction now. So, whether or not the, right. the spikes light up might be a a, a, a point with me, because to me, the spikes got to light up. Hmm. I think I'm okay. You're okay if the spikes don't light up? Yeah, I'm not big on, I understand that creatures underwater, like if you look at deep sea creatures, and even some creatures on land, there's illumination, mm -hmm. obviously. That was actually something that bothered me about the kaiju in Pacific Rim. Mm -hmm. They were a little bit too Tron. Mm -hmm. So they light up, and to me it looks a little bit... With all the sweet, maybe, with all the sweet yeah, details on them? With the sweet details on yeah. them, I feel like it's a little bit not cheesy, but I don't know how well our CGI, how well it translates on screen yet. Mm -hmm. But I understand that since those creatures came out of the ocean and a lot of deep sea creatures are luminescent, mm -hmm. if you guys look, something else educational. Um, I understand if they want to also do that because, you know, radiation and glow and all that stuff. So I understand if they want to do it but I don't know how well that would be received with the real, like, concept art-to-life-looking mm -hmm. type of film. So I think for me it's okay, okay. if he doesn't if he doesn't light up. No, I, 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 just, I hope they light up. That's just me. That's that's because they, they copped out on it in the American film. Um, I know from reading the script of the original Jan de Bont film, uh, the one that was going to be made um, back in 94, the uh, explanation they gave for his breath in that one wasn't it wasn't atomic in nature it was the fact that um if he deeply exhales enough and focuses it he exhales so hot that it ionizes the the air so it's a lot yeah. like a dragon like literally it was just the like the oxygen catching fire from it being just so hot and that's he you know he could focus you know what he's breathing out and pretty much the fire that would come with it would you know do the damage but they right. they specifically say right. the spikes don't light up when that happens though he just breathes out bam fire. You know if they do a schmog style, mm -hmm. that's okay. But if they're trying to do it so he looks like a biker at night with reflectors on, <laughs> and I'm not, I don't, I mean there's no reason you need to see him at night. You can feel him coming. Yeah. Um. So I think it's all how they choose to do it and also how design and how CGI and how the, the people that worked on the film chose, you know, their vision of it and how it's done. Mm -hmm. But it all depends. Lighting is the the weird thing. Like, obviously, lightsabers is one thing. Mm -hmm. But lighting, it has to be done right or else you just look like a neon sign. Yeah. For whatever reason, it just, you look wrong. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's something that will have to be like a choice of the producers and you know the director so we'll we'll see how that one gets done we'll see hopefully i i got a feeling we'll hit we're, we're gonna get one more trailer in the god it's 12 weeks until the movie's released it's it's yeah it's gonna be yeah, yeah it's pretty close yeah so yeah we got about 12 weeks left which i'm pretty sure they're like biting the bullet right now on the effects, because uh, the South by Southwest stuff was like literally cut together. They even said it was uh, there's some previs stuff still stu uh, still stuck in there. So, mm -hmm. uh, on that note, mm -hmm. uh, what did you think of the uh, the new Mondo poster? I like the new Mon Mondo poster. Um, for those who don't know, I guess everyone or most people, I'm not so sure how it's done, mm -hmm. who went to the Godzilla, obviously screening and 
we're at South by Southwest, which takes place in Texas. Mm -hmm. um, they got a like a special Mondo Gallery limited edition type of posters. And for those who don't know, the Mondo Gallery kind of reimagines classic posters or classic movies or just modern or current movies that are coming out and they kind of have their own twist on it and you know they have different artists yeah that kind of do it and some of them look really great and really amazing i think recently they released a bunch of disney ones yeah they just did a whole so, they did a whole disney line um yeah it's it yeah. wasn't as cool as the acme line that that got the disney afternoon line they got the guy that did darkwing duck to do them that print, I, I got one of those prints, and it's it was one of the, some of the best fifty bucks I've ever spent. Yep. Mind on the other hand, they they did release one for Comic Con, and I managed to grab one. Uh, it is the only Mondo poster I own. I I I'm 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 of the mindset that I don't buy into Mondo's kind of uh, prestige kind of BS. Uh, I I know a lot of people will kind of go nuts over these things. Um, I I come from an upbringing. My father was an artist. He loves art. He's into not not just like he's not like Picasso, not just Picasso kind of stuff. Like he loves everything. Like he he holds Neil Adams high in like the the, the pantheon of artists and Frank Fazetta and all this stuff. Like he like he talks art like from comic books to to murals. Like how we talk about monsters and it was just a ton of passion. Um, so he showed me. And he's you know I like to think that he's at least given me a little bit of taste when it comes to this stuff. A lot of like Mondo stuff just pretty much is a rehash. Like a lot of the artists they get for for like their especially like their Iron Man line. It's like all you did was trace over the. Uh, it looks like they just traced scenes out of the movie and just clawed them together. Like there there's a couple of posters that look good. The they did one for Jurassic Park. It looked astonishing. I'm like this looks great. I would buy this. Other stuff I'm like mm, yeah. Um, this new one yeah it's all right. It's um it's it's far more uh, creative than some of their other offerings that they've had. I'll say that. Um, like the one from Comic Con, it was the silhouette of Godzilla made out of the destruction. That was kind of cool. My problem with them is though is their their quality control that they do, and I'm making the quotation marks because you can't see it because it's theater of the mind. Uh, with their their low run prints, and then. Half the stuff ends up on the damn in, uh, on the secondary market for triple the price. Um, I paid fifty five. Yeah, it's like a Comic Con exclusive. Exactly. Like Comic Con exclusive. Exactly, but they're not Comic Con. They're not a convention thing. They literally sell the stuff through their site, and there's not a person I have ever met that was into these things that ever got one off the damn site when they went on sale. Like everyone I know, they're like, where'd you get yours? Like, oh, I bought off eBay. Oh, how much? Is I have some. Yeah, I have some friends who did, mm -hmm. and um, but I do have one, one sweet dear friend, Michael Lee. Mm -hmm. If you look him up, he writes, uh, you know, for he writes reviews mm -hmm. and recaps for movies, so he gets to go to screenings, and he loves Mondo Pose. He basically Facebooks three things: lovely captions and pictures and statuses about his dog Benji, <laughs> uh, something about like movies or something like that mm -hmm. and then mondo posters and every time he does that he's like no my wallet hurts it wants to cry or something like that sorry michael if i'm not <laughs> paraphrasing it correct but it's you know it does take there's so many good ones you know he wants them all and i understand mm -hmm. and he has a screenshot and i'm pretty sure it's of his screen or it could be a friend's screen but he goes this is why you don't go use the restroom 
-hmm. and it's a screenshot that says, I'm sorry, your Monzo poster that you selected is already sold out. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like an error page. Yeah. And he, I was like, no, you can't even use the bathroom. It's like Comic-Con ticket mm -hmm. style. Yeah, it's it's insane. And they, they their whole market on is the fact that they say, well, we're keeping quality. It's like you're not keeping quality anything. If you mass produce anything, even in a lithograph form, you're, you're already, you, you know, there's, to me, there's the original piece, the original piece that the artist made. And then everything else is a print. Like, like I, lithographs are all they only are they're just they're just they're in in their own way reprints of the original. They're not the original anyway. All they're done is just numbered and because some guy was too lazy to make more than fifty, so they're not the original piece. So you know don't you know try to say you're keeping quality control, especially when the images are up on the internet as it is anyway. And all it would take for me is to go down to Kinko's. Drop sixty bucks and get a full printout on a nice glossy sheet instead of the uh, kind of like the 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 high the the high fiber count paper that they print on as it is because that's a it's a little horse crap to me and you know I don't I it, I have my issues and I've I've I try not to get upset over it because I get, I I get angry over a lot of things that should not bother me at all I'm that kind of person but when I see stuff like this and I see there's like a whole sub you know, genre of fans for this stuff. And mind you, I'm not telling you what to be in and what not to be in. If you love these things, good on you, okay? You can consider yourself an art collector. But when when there's practices like this for for said thing, it just drives me nuts. And I, and I end up like an old man yelling out at a cloud because it's, it, it's you know, angered me on my nice sunny day. <laughs> I have a friend who doesn't buy Disney DVDs for that reason. Oh, because they throw them in the vault? Because... They yeah they put them out for a while they throw them in the vault ten years later repackage or retouch whatever it's a ten year diamond platinum mm -hmm. exclusive I mean I buy them anyways because I'm a sucker I'm gonna admit it I'm a consumerist mm -hmm. I'm the person that you know you you have the one out of twenty five cover of Michael Turner something I'm gonna get it mm -hmm. or you know the the fifty two different covers I'm going to get them all yeah. but. I understand the frustration from a consumer standpoint, but also from a business standpoint, that's freaking brilliant. It is. It is. I, I, that's that's where my conflict is too. The fact is, I cannot deny them their brilliance in, in their business strategy either. Like I, as yeah. much as just like you sons of bastards, and just like, bravo, bravo. Just but like, <laughs> go to hell, all of you though. <laughs> Another thing that Chris and I for toy leaks was a brightly colored plastic toy I would say of a bridge I would assume it's the Golden Gate mm -hmm. uh, with Mewtwo's like a better look of what the creature should look like mm -hmm. but in toy version and Godzilla yeah like, so you were saying that it was probably a lower end Bandai type of yeah. figure and well Bandai's doing the mass production kind of like aimed at the kitties you know the whole thing I ranted about in like our third episode where you know, yeah, they they, they yeah. dropped the ball Pacific Rim. Clearly, they're not doing that. They're they're going full bore. So, and again, you know, Bandai makes quality stuff, and they're also notorious for making kind of at least the American division for making kind of half ass products. They've done they've gotten much better in in, in recent years, though. But yeah, did did I mean this figure? The, the at least the picture that's leaked clearly is aimed at smaller kids. I mean, it looks very plastic and very, you know, um, 
it doesn't have many points of articulation, if you will. But it does give right. you a good idea, a somewhat a, and I wouldn't even say good, a somewhat idea of what the at least the the full size version of Muto is going to look like. Um, and from the gist of it, uh, especially other people who've been commenting, they're saying very Cloverfield-ish. Uh, I would tend to disagree, but when you look close. It look, look a little closer. It's got the tiny vestigial arms on it, like the little T-Rex arms, and it's got the right. it's got the two legs uh, that it's standing up on. And then it looks like it's got like four, kind of like a, a bat. How a bat looks like when it's walking around, you know, kind of has the uh, you know when its mm-hmm. wings are folded up. So it looks like it's got four of those going on. So two, four, six, so eight. It's an eight-legged creature. It's not a giant centipede though. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to say the least. Um, it, again, you can't really tell because it's a kid's toy. Um, I'm figuring that the thing when it, you know, just from the look of it, when it, you know, it, it obviously flies because you see in the uh, in the preview something crashing into the water and swatting all those damn jets out of the sky. So it's got to have a wingspan that you know it either connects or it's got like. Um, it hides underneath its uh, the, the little hooks, kind of like a bat. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I'm get- I know what you're talking about. So I'm guessing about. you might have like the double kind of wing thing, like the back end wings and the front end wings, kind of much like a uh, kind of like a moth or a butterfly or something like that. Um, but it does. It has. It also has a bit of um, kind of a Gauss look from Gamera, like the the head, the way that the head shaped. It's kind of like they have that that weird kind of like uh, what's the best word? It's it's very it's very uh, pterodactylian. That's not even a word, but I'm going to go with it. Um, in this look, so I mean, there's no detail, so you can't really garner like how if it might look cool or not. It's just you know some people will say, well, it's following the clover cloverfield tradition. In a way, yeah, you know, tiny, oversized arms, and you know kind of oversized, you know, upper body, but we haven't seen it in action. We haven't seen anything of it. So I'm I'm holding judgment because I really hope it it, it doesn't look real clover fieldy when uh when it's on screen cuz I hate that design so much. It just brings it's it's like it's like you're reading your favorite book. Like you love this book and it's you've read it, you know, ear to ear, to page to page over and over again. And one day you're reading it and you're drinking a cup of coffee and you take a sip of that coffee and then all of a sudden your dog comes up and jumps in your lap and you spill said coffee into your book. And <coughs> you know, <laughs> the book's still readable. You can you, you can read it just fine. But just knowing that that stains there now and it's kind of warped, you're just like, ah, god damn it. So you put said book away and you throw it, you know, a you know, out of sight, out of mind. And then one day you come across it, like months later, you're like, oh, hey, I remember that. And then you open it up and see there's that coffee stain just staring right at you with a smug look on his face that you just want to punch him. And then you get mad again, and then you go storm off and do something you, you regret. That's what Cloverfield is to me. That's what the design, that design is. I, I love the way you put your stories together as, like, a comparison to how you feel about something. So you went through this whole thing about the book and the coffee stain, and that's how you felt about Cloverfield. But you put it in a simplistic way that everyone understands. 
it's it's something I've, I've had to develop because I do rant and rave a lot, and I realized listening to myself one day when a friend recorded me, it's like, wow, I don't make a lick of sense, but when it's coming out of my head, it all makes perfect sense. So, and as a person that wants to make movies one day, I gotta learn. Uh, I gotta. I had to develop a way to to relay what the hell I'm telling people in in a way that they can understand. So, it's uh, it's it's something I, I've I've tried to develop over the years. So. At least it works, so that's the thing that matters. You get what I'm saying, right? Yes. Yes, I do. All right. But yeah, that's how I feel. I want to punch Cloverfield right in the, right in the goddamn face. Because it just that movie just worked me up so much, and it was just such a disappointment. And I just hate that design so much. So that's that was the one hope I was... It, the one thing I'm, I was hoping against hope that they wouldn't... Re, you know, when they came to the new monster design, that they wouldn't go... That kind of weird spacey route, that or that just kind of oddball route that the Cloverfield has kind of created. I call it the um, the uh, the Gears of War route, where just you know, it's just super deformed makes no sense. And mind you, this is coming from a person who holds characters like Gigan and Megalon and sees some of the great aspects of many of the Ultraman monsters. But. Uh, yeah, and uh, it, it, Cloverfield is just a terrible design. I'm hoping against hope that the the Muto, the, at least the Queen Muto design, does not look anywhere near near that. It at least has something un- completely unique about it. Also, right. Also, I'm hoping that from what I'm hearing, especially the fact that a Gareth Edwards was very adamant about. That, that original screening that they did for uh, for the uh, sites a couple weeks ago, there was a couple of bits they weren't allowed to talk about. <clears throat> so they're obviously they got some surprise up their up, up their sleeve. This is just me thrown out there. Maybe a second monster in the film. Um, I do know that from people who have read the script that it does set up for another movie, possibly with another monster. Just. I, I, I've asked them, A, not to spoil it for me, but also just kind of give me a gist. I'm like, eh, or maybe. So, <coughs> I guess we'll see. But, um, you know, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a far better chance of Godzilla succeeding where Pacific Rim really did not succeed it. So, while we may not get a sequel to Pacific Rim anytime soon, we're more than likely to get another Godzilla movie hopefully within the next three years, which yes. I'm all about. Yes. 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 <laughs> and that would be great. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we have gone an hour and a half. That's actually quite a lot for talking about literally one solid thing. So, uh, Jessica. Yes. Where can the good people find more of your good work this week? Um, you can find me at thecomicbookgirl.com mm-hmm. and girlongeek.com. And all my social media and all my information is there. Um, you can find me. I'm just, like, all over the Internet. And also, as a reminder, if you wanted to Facebook friend me, it's fine. Um, it's Jessica, the comic book girl. Um, all one word, all, the comic book girl is all together as my last name. Uh, no spaces. Um, if you can, please, we, I would love it if people could Facebook inbox me and let me know where you heard me or you met me, just because there's so many randos out there. So I just want to make sure, like, before I accept your <laughs> Facebook friend request, 
that we have uh, virtually met or at least heard each other before. Yes, so you're not some kind of creepy guy that's just say, hey, here you like comic books. Yeah, I like comic books too. <laughs> so what are you wearing? That kind of stuff. You don't need any of that. That that's that's tomfoolery we do not need around here. <laughs> but feel free to do that to Chris. <laughs> no, no, please don't. Please do not. Please do not. I'd, I'd turn them and would be like, what's up? Huh? Heard you're kind of freaky, too. <laughs> yeah, so. Anywhere else? Uh, you know, obviously on this, we are on Twitter as the Kaiju Kingdom. Mm-hmm. And also our Tumblr is the Kaiju Kingdom Podcast.tumblr.com. I will be up- also we- Oh, sorry, but just real addendum to that. I will be updating that far more than has been updated in the last couple of weeks. Yes, so. because we love our Facebook. Yes. So we are on there all the time, and by we, specifically me, more Chris is on there all the time. Mm-hmm. And also, we are also on uh, Facebook as the Kaiju Kingdom Podcast. And feel free to comment, tweet us, email us, whatever you want to do. We would love to hear feedback and have more friends or haters, mm-hmm. but hopefully friends. And uh, we will also feel free to tell you what we love, have a discussion, or defend defend uh, what we like and what we don't like. But also we have a Gmail for right now, which is the Kaiju Kingdom Podcast at gmail.com. But yes, that's where we are. I mean, other places that I'm at. But I know, like, Chris, you are also all over the place on social media-wise. Uh, I'm on... Uh, I write for uh, therealmcast.com. I'm actually the assistant editor there, not to ring my own bell. Ding, ding. Um, so you can find me there. You can find me on the, the two podcasts that I host on there. Uh, we call the one, the, the, the main Realmcast show, which is just we adamantly refer to as the regular show. It doesn't have a, a talking bird and a squirrel in it either. Um, we also, uh, I also host a weekly show called Take Two with my uh, editor buddy, George Cadero, where we rant on about the news. So it's a little more... Um, Timely podcast, and then uh, you can also find us on PanzerCrush.com, which is the current host of the site. I know a lot of people have asked us uh, if we are going to create a specific Kaiju Kingdom website. That's kind of up in the air right now. Um, it's not out of the realm of possibility, but for right now, because I own Panzer Crush and I have a lot of uh, free space on that one, that's where we're currently hosting this podcast. Um, I do know people have been asking about um, uh, Apple. Uh, we're working on it. We just have to get a couple more. We have to get a steady schedule under our belt because Apple is very particular about, hey, are you going to post a little bit more? And uh, for those who have been following us, uh, we have run into some timing issues because both Jessica and I are very busy with, you know, work. So uh, that kind of does get in the way sometimes. So un- when we get a little more grounded, um, I, we will definitely be up on uh, on iTunes. Um, I'm going to put it, try to get us into Stitcher and a bunch of other uh, uh, podcast uh, hosting sites. But for right now, you can just go to Panzer Crush, download this, and uh, yeah. So that will do it for us for this week. We thank you for tuning in. We thank you for listening. We ask you to uh, share this if uh, if you feel like sharing it. Uh, so for myself and Jessica. Bye, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. We thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.